What did we learn about the Utah football team in their week one victory over the Florida Gators? And are the Buffs actually a threat to Utah's chances to three-peat as Pac-12 champions? We're talking about it on today's Locked On Utes. You are Locked On Utes, your daily podcast on the Utah Utes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and thank you for making Lockdown Use your first listen every single day. We are available on all platforms, including YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. If this is your first time listening to our show, like and subscribe. We'd love interacting with you guys in the YouTube comments and appreciate all of you continue to subscribe and support our show that uh, continues to grow over the past month, which was the best in our channel's history. So seriously, can't thank you guys enough for that. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. It's the official sportsbook of Locked On. You can make every moment more right now. New customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets. Guaranteed. Visit fanzo.com slash locked on to get started. My name is JT Wistersill, former intern inside the University of Utah Athletic Department. And on today's show, at the very end, we'll talk about the buffs. And I mean, they, they were the winners of week one of college football overall. What Utah was able to do is very impressive on Thursday. But anytime you can be what people would call the worst team in college football last year, and then you go on the road and win in a team that made the national championship. Now we'll, we'll talk about the quality of that team because it's, it's changed a lot since they made that national championship. We'll talk about that at the end, but we'll talk about the buffs as it pertains to Utah at the end. Uh, second segment, we'll hit on Utah's defense. I was really impressed with Utah's defense, but first we got to start with the good, the meh and the ugly, you know, it's usually the good, the bad and the ugly, the Utah, there were some really good moments for Utah's offense. I thought they were a lot of meh, moments for Utah's offense and then there were some ugly moments for this Utah offense too and I went back and watched the film so watch the game through twice now and uh, my still main takeaway is what a performance right I mean this was coach Witt's 155th win you do it with guys like Cam and Brant out your stars on offense you're missing Johnny Maia the guy who's supposed to be your starting center I thought and I thought Kump did a pretty good job we'll talk about him um, and then like the, your two best interior defensive linemen I would have said coming in the season is Junior Tafuna, Simote Peppa and, and then Connor O'Toole, who this team called their best pass rusher, which that definitely caught me off guard because based on what we saw last year, I would not have said that about Connor O'Toole. I would have said that about the guy who looked like he was Utah's best pass rusher in this game, but uh, that remains to be seen. But uh, we'll talk about the D-line. But let's start with the offense. So first, the positives. I liked a lot of the creativity we saw using both Nate and Bryson. I'm glad that it wasn't just Bryson. I'm glad that it wasn't just Nate. I thought using both of them gave the offense multiple looks or gave the defense multiple looks because the offense was doing multiple things. It just made Utah tougher to game plan for. Overall, I like drawing up things like the Vele pass. That's something fun, creative. And honestly, it would have been a touchdown if Vele didn't overthrow Makai. I know it's one of those where I'm sure the, the most important thing for Vele there is not to turn it over, right? So I think that's where he's like, I'd rather overthrow him than underthrow him. And unfortunately, he did slightly overthrow him. So it would have been a nice touchdown there. And I liked how much Micah, uh, Micah Pittman lined up in the backfield. We saw that a lot. And I think that's a nice, creative look. And I think his speed and shiftiness is really going to be tough for linebackers to cover. So I think especially on like third and longs, I think that's something that Utah could exploit. He would have scored. He wasn't, I don't, he didn't line up in the backfield, but he did have that key drop in the first half where he was all alone in the flat that he would have just easily gotten the first down, even though it was a third and long situation. There was no one around him. He just dropped it before he turned around. But I really like the creativity overall that Andy Ludwig used. And I really liked how Bryson looked overall. Yeah, he made a couple of poor decisions, threw in a double coverage twice, I think one time to Emory Simmons. And then he did have the one to, uh, Thomas Yasmin, that was uh, particularly not great. But outside of that, I mean, I think about the throw. Obviously, the, mo the Money Parks one was a dime. I mean, that's a definition of a dime. A perfect pass to start the day for him. So we love that. 
Uh, he fitted into Yasmin on the third and long. Really like that. Uh, Mickey Sugataraga hit him on the move on another occasion too. And uh, Mikey Matthews hit once or twice too. I, I thought overall Bryson was really good. He made, I thought only two or three bad throws, maybe one or two more than that. But over after watching it back, I thought there were only a couple times I was like, he made a mistake there. And overall, I thought he did a very good job managing this game. And I, I really liked what he did. And I, I liked what I saw mostly from Nate as well. There were a couple things from Nate that um, just what it came like. Look, the ball went through his hands on the one, the one snap he bobbled. There was miscommunication on the handoff. I'm not sure if that was Nate or Jaquindon. Those are where it's hard to tell. But overall, I really like to use both. How could you not love Nate with the one run he had? I mean, that's just the miraculous type of stuff that an athlete of his caliber is, is capable of. So I'm glad this Utah offense is using him more because he's earned the right to be used more. And he is just so dangerous with the ball in his hands. And I thought he made some nice passes as well. He had Mikey Matthews. It was third and long and uh, ended up being before it was short and then there were the two number threes for the florida gators on the field that uh forced utah to, that allowed utah to get back on but i thought that was a nice opportunity there too and uh i also just love how involved all the different players in this offense were from a pass catching standpoint i feel like this utah team has a lot of weapons on the outside money parks mikey matthews emory simmons was targeted but didn't get a catch in this one devon vele we know he can bring thomas yasmin i just i like that bryson used everyone that was at his disposal and they uh they tried to distribute it to everyone overall too so overall a lot of really positive things from utah but there were some mess as well uh i think mickey sukuturaga is still getting a feel for the tight end position he had a couple of missed blocks or just misses and you know in the heat of the moment it's just different than practice it's a new position for him that he's been learning and you could i think you could see that in certain reps where it was in, in or did not reps but just certain live moments where he just didn't execute as they had hoped for. So overall, but he did have the nice pass. He did that catch the nice pass and had some other nice moments. Speaking of uh, Kump and um, Jaron Kump and Michael Mokofisi, we're, we're pretty good overall. They had some a couple misses in the run game. Couldn't hold their blocks long enough. Uh, got, Mokofisi especially got beat a couple times in pass protection. It's, it's kind of hard when you're a center to get beaten pass pro because one of the guards is almost always helping you. So, um, but I, I thought Kump and Moko overall, I still thought they were pretty good. I, it's good is a fair word, but I, there was definitely more ups and downs with them with like Satawa and Keaton. I like maybe Keaton had one or two. Satawa, I, I barely saw it. I really can't recall like what Satawa did wrong. Like I really thought Satawa was that dominant in this game. Was there maybe a moment or two I'm forgetting? Possibly. I don't remember watching the film though and being like, oh yeah, Satawa. That's a negative right there, which I, I noticed that with pretty much everyone else. Like I said, only Keaton once or twice. I thought he was really good overall there, too. Um, also, just the, kind of the meh, the offense slowing down. It was a lot of drive killers that slowed down this offense. It was, uh, you know, Nate kind of fumbling. Nate fumbled it that first drive that uh, he had in the second half. You had the jet sweep to Money Parks on another one that was tackled for like a five-yard loss. Then you have penalties on some of these other ones that were real drive killers, too. So just getting behind the sticks on some of the runs, too, you know, instead of second and five second and something manageable you're in second and nine because you only ran it for a couple yards so just a lot of drive killers and stuff that especially from the play calling standpoint right like some of the stuff with the money the sweep like that like if the look's not there i think that's something you can change and tweak uh tweak going forward overall so uh, those are kind of the meds to me like things that are easily collectible but it was kind of just like yeah that's that's very weak one to see it play out Okay, now for the ugly, and I want these two players are two players I think have a very bright future with this Utah football program. I this was a position where I think they were thrown into a very tough situation because they hadn't had the starting opportunities. Spencer Fano and Tanoa Tong Tong I, and I apologize for mispronouncing his name, but they they both rotated in at left tackle. Um, neither of them played very well overall. They had moments. Uh, Spencer Fano, like the very first snap for him, very good in pass protection, did a good job holding up. He had nice moments throughout the game. Um, Utah's first run play, he got beat. 
And then he false started right after that. And a uh, Tonga had similar things, right? He got called for a hold, got beaten pass protection. Those guys had penalties. They missed assignments and they needed help in pass protection. And yes, I'm not in the Utah locker room. So maybe there are certain things that I'm missing and maybe some I'm overcalculating. But when you watch the plays back, it's pretty clear like, oh, the run was going to the right, to the left, or just a, a zone play straight ahead. And it, it kind of, it looks like Spencer Fado missed right there. Even Kirk Herbstreit was pointing it out a lot. Uh, Tongi getting called for flags. So Utah just right now, they, they, I said it coming in the season, left tackle was my biggest question mark. Right now they have an issue at left tackle. It can definitely be corrected. I trust Jim Harding to figure it all out. I will say, I, you know how great Brain Daniels was there. I thought off the top of my head, Braden's worst game at left tackle last year was against Florida. So that could very well be the same thing for Spencer Fano for Tong Tongai if they if they roll with him and continue to use him as well. I, I don't know how. I also think rotating can be kind of tough. I think they wanted to see what both guys had, but yeah, neither of them played a great game. I would I would say both played a below average game. They were probably the biggest negative to me about this Utah team when watching the film back. And once again, had nice moments executing the run game. Did provide there were snaps where they provided time and pass protection, but we're grading you on the totality of your performance. And there was a lot of, there would like be a positive and a negative. Like they would rotate a lot. And in fact, the, the negatives were probably a little more than positive to me. So huge fan of Spencer Fano. It's extremely difficult to start on the offensive line in your very first game. To Noah, same thing with him. Like this was his first real start. He'd never started before. And left tackle is one of the toughest position to plays. I think those guys will figure it out. But it's still my biggest question. And right now it is an issue that I think teams will try to exploit going forward because there were a lot of plays where it's a good thing Mekhi Bernard or a running back was able to chip and help on that side because those guys, guys did get beat. So when I say the ugly in week one, it was the performance by Utah's two left tackles. But I do like both those players, and I think they can get it figured out going forward. Uh, but it is one of those things where week one, a lot of time to figure it out, as I mentioned. And uh, sometimes it's whenever there's a concern in week one, it's like, hey, it's okay because it's week one. You're just getting your footing back into it. But it can also be really cool when you see a, a position group or a unit. It's an entire unit start strong week one. That's what the Utah defense did. And we are going to talk about their dominant performance in one moment. But first, I want to talk to you guys about our friends at Athletic Brewing. Now time for your game changer of the week brought to you by Athletic Brewing Company. Much like, oh, there's so many guys we could go with for the game changer this week. I'm going to go Joan Ellis. I'd love to hear from you guys who would be yours. He's a guy I gave a game ball to last week. Joan Ellis, the two-sack performance, provided pressure a lot more than that throughout the game. I thought really stepped up in this one. He was a real pleasant surprise with how dominant he was, beat Florida's offensive tackles multiple times in one-on-one -on -one reps. So big Joan Ellis, I think he would be my uh, athletic brewing, we said game changer of the week, but, um, athletic brewing, they've completely changed the non-alcoholic beer game. They make non-alcoholic beers that actually taste really good out. Athletic Brewing Company has completely changed the non-alcoholic beer game. Their brews are great tasting and award-winning and beat out full-strength beers in global competitions. They brew over 50 styles of craft non-alcoholic beer, including IPAs, Golden Sours, and so much more. They're a fit for all times. You can drink them anytime, anywhere, and make any activity even more enjoyable, like watching the game or your kids' games, taking, talking, at doing it at work even, or just working out. There's no hangovers ever. So there, there's pretty much any time that you can have them. And you can find Athletic Brewing Co.'s non-alcoholic brews at a store near you or buy online at athleticbrewingco.com. First-time customers can use code LOCKEDON to get 15% off your order online. That's code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, at checkout for 15% off at athleticbrewing.com. Near beer exclusions and conditions do apply. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times. Also, I want to talk to you guys about our friends at 
UCCU. Learn and earn the UCCU mobile banking app that pays your entire family to learn about money. Kids look to parents to become more financially literate. Parents don't always know the answers. Learn and earn breaks down financial topics into fun, bite-sized educational games like quizzes and trivias. Every time a family member completes a topic, they earn points that can occur and can be redeemed for gift cards to stores like Amazon, Apple, Sephora, Walmart, Nike, and so much more. There's age-appropriate content for every member of the family who can compete against each other and track their progress on leaderboards. Learn and earn is inside the UCCU mobile banking app, so play it anytime, any Anywhere. The more you play, the more you learn, and the more you learn, the more you earn. Learn and earn, part of UCCU's award-winning Be Money Smart Youth Banking Program, helping kids, teens, and parents have fun while becoming more financially literate together. UCCU, love where you bank. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All righty, let's talk about the Utah defense. What a performance. Only gave up three points through for three quarters. There was the late score by Florida. But so many key and timely stops. Before I dive into the Utah um, side of it, I just, the defensive, the players and personnel especially, I just love that it was a conversation so much about how so many Florida fans and various people. I think I and Brandon said this as well, too. And I do, I, I'm a huge, I think Brandon does a great job with Locked On Gators. I think a lot of the points he made leading up to the show were fair. But you could tell, and just people in general don't, who don't, go to Utah games and understand that atmosphere. It gets so loud in that stadium. And I know it gets loud in SEC stadiums as well too, but it's credit to the fans and the way the sound is trapped based on the design of the stadium. It gets really loud. Kirk Herbstreit and Chris Fowler both highlighted it. There were multiple key false starts in this game. The very first drive, Florida had it in third and short. Boom, false start on the offensive lineman. It was going to be fourth and short on their third drive of the game. Boom, false start on one of their offensive linemen right in front of the must. That stadium gets deafening. You guys who are there, and just not even just the must, everyone there, had an impact on this win because Florida had a, a lot of miscues and miscommunications in part because of how loud it was in there. And you could tell it definitely affected the Florida Gators. So shout out to you guys um, for keeping the energy up because once again, it definitely flew the Florida Gators off their game a couple times. Um, but yeah, the Utah defense was awesome. And I, I first guys I want to point out was uh, Keanu Tanuvasa and Alikivai Mahi and then uh, Fotu as well, Tavita Fotu. I, I thought all three of them were really impressive along the defensive line. Made some huge plays for this Utah defense. And in a game last year where this would this is where I would have been nervous, right? You tell me, Cameron, not only is Cam and Brand out, but you get Junior Tafuna and Samote Pepper are out against a team that ran the ball at will against you last year. That would make me really nervous going into this game. But just watching the performance by Peppa, Vaimahi, and Tanuvasa, they did a great job taking on double teams, holding up gaps, freeing up linebackers to come in and make plays. And speaking of those linebackers, Leovani Demuni and Lander Barton, and the brief little bit we saw of Karene Reed before he unfortunately got hurt, they were really strong here. Barton especially, just so much improved from the Florida game last year. And Demuni, as we thought, was better in this first game than Mahmoud Diabate was last year. Did Demuni still make a mistake? Yes, there was one time on a play action where uh, he came down a little bit and didn't. And once he realized it was too late, the receiver had or tight end had gotten behind him, and then he chased after him. Like small mistakes like that, but the good definitely outweighed the bad with Demuni. I thought overall he had a really good performance in his first start with his Utah team. But 
once again, just going back to the defensive line for their ability to dominate up front. Florida did not have much success rushing the ball. In fact, I'm pulling up the numbers right now for what ended up being. They ended up having 13 yards. You know, I really, it's weird how in college football that they count the sacks as rushing yards because it's so clearly not a rushing yard. But um, either way, Etienne had tw- seven carries for 25 yards. Johnson had three for six. What? Like, I did not think. Those were the two that scared me the most about this Florida team was those two backs. And Utah did a great job holding them in check overall. So give a lot of credit to those guys. And it's once again, up front, just a great job taking on those double teams, applying pressure to Tanavasa had the great sack off the spin move. And we already talked about John Ellis a little bit when I mentioned game changers, but what a game for him. Yes. You could see the, the two sacks he had, but he was even better than that. I thought there were a couple other times where he broke in and got pressure like Cole Bishop sack. Ellis is breaking free. Mertz can see it. He drifts to the right a little bit and it makes it that much easier for Cole Bishop to get home on a key second down. I think it was for, for Utah before because Bishop dropped him for like an eight yard loss. It was a total drive killer for the Gators. And it's part because of the pressure that Ellis brought van wasn't hundred percent. He was flying around making plays and it was great to see Logan Fano get his first sack too. Logan did a good job applying pressure. It's always funny when the, like the sack he got, they, they forgot to account for him and he was just a free rusher off the end. Cause I don't think that indicated like he had strong moments and there were other plays I thought that were better reps for him where he didn't like get a sack just because Mertz threw the ball quick or something like that, rather than the one where he just happened to be the guy the Gators decided not to block because Utah did a good job blitzing and uh, just bringing a lot of pressure. But once again, can't heap enough praise along the defensive line. Ellis is the obvious guy, but particularly Tanuvasa, Peppa, and Vaimahi for their ability to stand up those double teams, shed blockers, make plays in the running game, and not let the Gators get a consistent ground game going. Very impressive game by the Utah defensive line. Talked about the linebackers. I thought they were impressive. The secondary had coverage sacks in this game. There were multiple times where Mertz, the key, the first third down of the game, Mertz just decided to check it down because the zone coverage was so strong for Utah. Utah had strong moments in man as well. Yeah, it's Amaya Vaughn and JT Broughton get beat later in the game a couple times. Yeah, they did. But once again, you're going to get beat in college football. Like it's going to happen. It, it's okay when you only, especially when you only give up three points. Like I'm not going to be mad to be like, oh, Utah just throughout four quarters, like they gave up some passing yards. This Utah defense let up 11 points. Like you, people are going to move the ball. It's going to happen in college football. Yes, Broughton and Vaughn lost a few reps at different moments. Vaughn got uh, mossed one time by a Florida DB. But for the majority of the games of my Vaughn, JT Broughton, Miles Battle, Teo Johnson, my goodness, what a game he had. His very first uh, big hit he had, Florida ran it for a gain on first down, it was, or maybe a short pass. And then on second down, the very first drive, they uh, had a mo- guy motion across, gave it was Pearsall, gave it to him on the jet sweep. And Teo Johnson just comes, he's the one following John, um, Pearsall. And we'd heard so much about Pearsall's speed, right, and how devastating it was. And Johnson just flattens him. And it would have been a pretty easy first down for Pearsall. And if he doesn't flatten him there, then Florida might continue their first drive. Then it's not third and one with the false start. Then the Graham Mertz completion. Then they have to give Utah the, the ball back, which then sets up the big pass from Money Park. So that was a huge play made by Teo Johnson there, who I thought was really good in this game. And as I mentioned, the Utah DBs were really good overall. I thought Morgan Scali did a great job coming up with different creative blitzes and just different fronts. You would see Utah with their four defensive linemen always with their hands in the dirt and everything, but then you'd have a linebacker who'd walk down. There were multiple times where Utah had six guys on the line in general. You'd have the two linebackers to the outside and then the defensive ends were pretty kind of head up on the offensive tackles. And then you get the two interior guys too. So this was a, which maybe even a shade inside the, the shoulder pads, but overall just like the different looks and everything, the blitzes, we know that we saw Barton get home once or get close to getting home, disrupted a pass. Bishop got home. Morgan Scali always does a great job drawing up different fronts, mixing up his coverages, doing everything. So thought it was a great game by Morgan Scali. 
One guy I did not think played great. I see some Florida fans trying to twist this now, by the way. I know Graham Mertz was 31 for 44, 333 yards, touchdown and interception. Like, I, yes, he was good late in this game when it was out of reach. There were key plays early on in the game where Graham Mertz, number one, could have avoided pressure better, could have gotten the ball out quick, did a better job getting the ball, out, throwing it away instead of getting sacked. Yes, Graham Mertz was not the problem with this Florida offense, but I don't think it's, I don't think he played very good. I did not think they moved, they had their most success in the fourth quarter when the game was out of reach. There were multiple key moments and drives they stalled. And yes, some of the Florida Gators play calling was atrocious in those situations. But I can also show you moments where, oh, Graham is scared, gets rid of the ball too early, just starts seeing ghosts, like has has an inaccurate throw. We know he rushed the one to Pearsall. And some are saying that's not Graham's fault. Some are saying it's not. It, 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 that's one like a push for me. Part of me is like that is in some ways Graham's, Graham's fault a little bit. Part of it is Pearsall's fault as well. Just because even though, yes, Pearsall should have turned his head sooner, I don't think that was a throw dead on the money either. So, like I said, Graham Mertz was, was fine, but like he was overall, I did not think he played that good, especially when the game was close. They could have used him to make some plays, and he didn't. And he got rid of the ball, checked it down, or would look downfield. And um, whether it was because the Utah coverage was good or he would just miss a throw, those are things that happen. So, I do think it's funny how some people are kind of spinning it where now Graham Mertz played, played well. I just. Like I said, I don't see. It. I see a lot of Florida fans trying to do that, but either way, great performance by this Utah defense. The, like I said, the only like nitpicking negatives I have, where there were a couple times where the Utah pass rush didn't get home, but overall that's going to happen, right? So like that was good, and the corners throughout the majority of the game were really good, and there were only a few missed tackles. How about that Utah defense from this year to last year, right? It's such a different when you difference when you play at home and when you have defensive experience, which this front seven really didn't have last year. So credit the Utah defense for a masterful performance. And uh, speaking of masterful performances, we have to talk about what Colorado did in a second, because uh, they might actually be a threat to Utah now based on their week one performance. I'm going to talk about how, uh, how valid I think that is. But first, I want to tell you guys a little bit more about our great friends at FanDuel. Get ready for the NFL season with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets, guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use and you can be on everything from this. You can bet on everything from the spread to the player props and so much more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. Alrighty, closing this one out. Let's talk about the story of college football. Look, maybe now you could argue, and happy Labor Day, everyone, too. I forgot to mention that off the top of the show. I hope you guys are all enjoying some uh, some downtime today. Those of you who do get the day off overall, um, I, I get the day off for the most part. I just do this podcast still, of course, because we got Utah football. I, I want to do this podcast. But, um, yeah, I think the only other story for the week would, I guess, be Florida State dismantling LSU. Um, yeah, Brian Kelly going down. But I, I the story to me is still what Deion Sanders did, right? Like, for him to ter- get so many transfers in there, and get this team to win on the road in TCU. It is funny too, because like you know where Dion like started his coaching was in Texas. Like, and I think he was in that Dallas Fort Worth type of area. I want to say he was. I could be off on that. I did. I did live in Texas before I moved out to Utah, but I don't remember exactly. But I know Dion like coached in the in the Dallas Fort Worth, like somewhere in that area, like ninety percent sure. Anyways, so he brings up his son from Jackson State. Travis Hunter also comes in. Shador Sanders being Dion's son, of course, or Coach Prime's son. Excuse me. Um, and yeah, it was one of those things where how are they going to look in their first year? Well, they, there's a lot of roster turnover. It usually takes time. And sure enough, they were playing the team that last year we thought it would take TCU and Sonny Dyke some time. And they're the ones that went on the run last year. And, uh, that came crashing down to earth for TCU. And they found out like usually what it takes, like 
just in your first year with a new kind of program. That's what we thought TCU would look like, what they looked like in that game, especially defensively. I know offensively they had some nice moments, but yeah, for Colorado to go down, win in TCU's house, very impressive performance. Um, as for them being a threat to Utah, I'll touch on that in a second. I will, I'm ready, I'm ready to say this. I, I was wrong on Shador Sanders. I thought it would take him a little bit of time. I think he is going to be one of the 10 best quarterbacks in college football this year. That may be a little overreaction to week one, but I do think he looks really good right now. I, I would still take Cam Rising over him because, once again, only week one Shador Sanders performance versus Cam Rising back-to-back Pac-12 championships, but really like Shador. And obviously, Travis Hunter was incredible. If there was a week one Heisman, I think it would go to Travis Hunter for playing over 130 snaps on both sides of the ball, being a dominant defensive back, and making a number of incredible plays at receiver two. That one interception he had was truly we leapt out of the air and snagged it. That was elite stuff. So they do have two elite college football players. Um, so yes, is Colorado better than I thought? Absolutely. I don't think they're a threat to Utah, at least right now. This could change by the end of the year. But I'm also, in some ways, I'm overreacting to week one by my praise of Shador and Travis, potentially. I'm not overreacting this Colorado team. I think it's a little early for Coach Prime to be pulling out every single receipt. Like in a lot of ways, yes, he he was correct. But also like, what if they go and lose to Nebraska next week? And then what a lot of those reporters said about you in some ways is right then, isn't it? That's why we might have waited till like you get bowl eligible or something like that. But look, Coach Prime has done an incredible job at Colorado getting them the win. And uh, it was fun to watch the post-game interview and all that and see him celebrate with Shador and Travis and just the joy overall. But I thought he was calling the receipts a little early for only being a, being a 1-0. <laughs> That's just me personally. But um, look, Colorado, better than I thought they were. TCU was really bad in this game defensively. I mean, my gosh, you let the Horn Frogs let a running back. And I will say, Dylan Edwards is very good. He had five receptions for 135 yards and three touchdowns. What? Like that is, yes, he's a good player. That's also really bad defense. Like the one long one he had down the, the wheel route down the sideline late, like the second defender, especially like, come on, man, you got the angle. You got to make that tackle. And totally whiffs. Coach 30, I thought, broke down some of the TCU defense the best. But, yeah, there was just so many wide open. Like I said, I like Shador Sanders. But there were so many wide open uh, passing lanes and opportunities. He did have a lot of time to throw on a couple of them. And Shador is capable of making nice throws. But, yes, Colorado is better than I thought they were. And TCU is going to probably not be very good this year. Just based on what I saw in this game, unless they're going to shake off a poor performance, I thought TCU looked pretty bad, and they had those couple red zone interceptions overall too. So, yeah, I came away not impressed with TCU at all, especially defensively with uh, what they were allowing in terms of open coverage and everything. And uh, the other thing I'll say for why I don't consider the Buffs a threat to beat Utah or derail their Pac-12 championship chances, at least not right now yet, is what does Utah like to do? They like to run the football. TCU is was more known last year for, they, and they ran the ball fine, but Quinton Johnson, Max Duggan, that was what TCU was known for. TCU rushing the ball in this game. Bailey had 14 carries for 164 yards. That's 11 yards a carry. And uh, TCU overall had 262 yards on 37 carries, and they averaged 7.1 yards per carry. If that's what you're allowing to TCU, who has three starters returning from last year's national championship team, the national champion runner-up team, excuse me, then yeah, Utah should have a field day. Now the Buffs defense might improve a little bit over the course of the season. Most teams do, but... Yeah, right now Utah matches up very favorably with Colorado. I think the Buffs are better than I initially gave them credit for, but I still think don't think they're on Utah's level, and I think they beat on a TCU team that is is in for a pretty big regression. But either way, I had a blast watching Coach Prime's first win. I, I think it's fun what he's trying to do and put together. As I mentioned, it's just a little early just when you're 1-0 to be calling out all the receipts for everyone that doubted you. Um, it's a little different like once you've made a bowl game or like 
once you have like eight wins or anything like that. But like just starting one and out for me, it was a little early calling all the receipts, but I am a fan of coach prime. I think it's fun what he's building. It's a great to watch Shadur. I really enjoy Shadur's game. I really like watching Travis Hunter. I'm looking forward to watching the buffs against the corn Huskers next week. I, by the way, everyone thinks they're going to dominate them. They might. Nebraska's defense is good. There's a reason Minnesota had trouble moving the ball. That Minnesota offense is not what this Colorado offense is, but I think Nebraska's defense is solid. So I think that's going to be a good battle. We're going to see this coming Saturday. I think Colorado will win, but I think it's closer than people think too. So uh, it'll be fun. But yeah, right now, like I said, just especially the matchup wise, how bad the rush deep running defense is. And I do think Utah will be able to get more pressure than TCU was able to on Sanders. I still like Utah in this game pretty handedly. But uh, what's awesome is that's not until November 26th. We have college football and a lot of it until we get to that point. And it's going to be a lot of fun talking all things Utah football with you guys all season long. Make sure you guys come back tomorrow's show. We'll be talking about what Coach Witt and some of the players had to say and their media availability. And then the biggest thing I'm excited for is I'm going to be, before I record my show tomorrow, I will have watched Baylor versus Texas State. And I'm going to break down what happened and see what in the world is going on with in Waco. Can Utah go in there and get a win? Which obviously the answer to that is definitely yes right now. But it's should Utah, they're favored. But what is this Baylor team really? Was that a fluke performance? Is this who they are against Texas State? I'll be breaking down that on tomorrow's Locked On Utes. But have a great rest of your Labor Day. And thank you guys for tuning in to our Monday episode. We will be back with you tomorrow.